Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, and we're continuing with this prayer of all prayers. The prayer that Jesus gave us, actually modeled for us, and in it is contained, I believe, all that we might call the secret of prayer. It's no secret, it's revealed to us here by Jesus. And I'm going to spend another hour on that first great request. In uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, it begins, Father, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I didn't say it as I wanted to last week. And so for this week, we're going to return to it and, and see how we actually pray this prayer into being, hallowed be your name. Now, th- this request stands at the head of the prayer. So it, it sort of stands over your kingdom come, your will be done, and so on. It's at the very head of the prayer. It's of prime importance. I believe we need to spend more time with it. Let me give a quick recap on what we discovered last week about this, which, although it is, in one sense, the most important statement in the prayer, only in one sense, um, but it's, it's in language that is, we're not familiar with it. And so, hallowed be your name. And we have seen that the word name in the scripture is so much more than anything we might mean by that here in the West. We, we look at name as something, it's an appendage, it's, it's something handled by which we call people and, and differentiate them from others. But in, in Bible lands, not only among the Hebrews, but beyond that, uh, the name of a person had enormous meaning. And, and we took time last week to see that. But it, it, it means that the true, the real person is ultimately revealed in their name. And, and this was true of humans who, whose names in the Old Testament were actually in Hebrew little sentences that don't come over into English. We just give the sound of the little sound sentence. But in that sentence, the the true person would be revealed. And in, certainly in terms of speaking of God, it, it means the name is the presence of the person. To invoke the name is to declare the presence. And so when we say the name of God, we mean it's the summation of all that God is, His 
true person, his essence, everything we mean by the God that, that is in the scripture. And when we say that name, it's not merely a sound on the air. We're not merely the, the, the idea of a handle to describe God. When we say his name, we're declaring that he is present here and now. And a name um, is always revealed ultimately in the words that are spoken and in the actions that are done. And so in the Old Testament, God is continually seen as revealing his name in doing this and doing that. And so when a great event happens in the history of Israel, out of that there comes a further revelation of the name of God. He's made known in his words, but also and especially made known in what he does, in his actual entrance into the human situation, and says, this is, this is the God I am. And so the name of a person, specifically God, is the resume of that person. It's, it's, it's the resume not only of what they've done, but who they are and who they are committed to be. The name. Everything that God is, and specifically is toward us. He's revealed himself to us and says to us, this is who I am. And if he's revealed this is who he is, then he can never be other than that. He's committed. This is who he is. Well, that other word, hallow, hallowed be your name. And as I said, of all words in the Bible, the devil has taken this one and had a heyday with it and made it to describe the uh, witches and monstrosities and distortions of human. Um, Halloween becomes something almost um, set apart for witches and darkness and evil. Um, but the word hallow essentially means to make holy. It means then, in plainer English, to set apart, to recognize the aboveness, the otherness, that this God is not just the best human you ever know. God is God and stands apart from, and God is God in terms of He is love. And therefore, we confront His holiness, His hallowedness, in that He is love that leaves us speechless because there's no dictionary on earth that can define the extent and the depth of his love. Hallowed, it, it, it means to honor, to regard, respect, to, to declare the set-apartness, the otherness of this God who is love and that results in standing in awe or speechless wonder. We stand before this love and we lose speech. We don't know what to say. We run out of how to put that love into human vocabulary. We, we run out of all the concepts our ancestors have given to us. And it means that we stand before it in reverence, worship, and therefore to obey 
And so God has revealed His name. This is who He is. And we hallow that. We stand in awe. We stand in wonder. I suppose you could say we wow the name of God. That, that's rather a modern way of saying hello, but it's, it's there. The, you, you, you are left standing before the name of God, and all you can do is worship and give thanks, because he's other than anything that our human could ever imagine. Okay. Now, the human race... I mean all of us, the human race, and that human race in Adam, for he is the father, literally, biologically, the father of us all. And so Adam was created, and we in him, we a potential in Adam, we were created to know the name of God. That is, we were created to know this God who is so beyond words for wonder. And we were created to hallow that name. That is, to give honor, to obey, live in accord with, in harmony with that name. To set that name above every other name and every other concept. And to live in that fashion. To live in union with that. That was the purpose. That is the purpose. His purposes never change. Into that garden, the first abode of human beings, Satan came. And... This Can you follow me now? The great sin of the Garden of Eden was that Eve and then Adam set Satan's name above the name of God. Did you get that? The great sin of mankind was to set the name of Satan over above the name of God. Therefore, Satan's name was hallowed. That is the information, if you could call it that, the lies, the deceit that Satan communicated was set above other to be regarded and honored and obeyed other than the name and the truth that is revealed in God. So God was marginalized, Satan, his name was hallowed, honored, listened to, obeyed. And the lie of Satan was that mankind should set their name above every other name. They would hallow their own name. They would consider themselves humans as God. Does this make sense? They hallowed the name of Satan and Satan's lie was hallow your name. You're the center of the universe. Your name stands in the center. Lies, lies, distortion, twisted. And of course, 
that immediately produced this intense darkness in mankind, and specifically in the, in the mind and the imagination of mankind. And so by hallowing the liar and the lie to be reverenced and placed above all that God said, that produced a distorted, twisted image of God. In fact, Adam recreated God in his own imagination, made him into a condemning, judging God who held mankind in disdain. Yeah. And that equals death while you're living. That's mankind in a darkness he can't get out of. He can't get out of. He doesn't even know he's in it. He's in a darkness that he calls light and wisdom. He's in a death that he calls living. He can't get out. He's so twisted and addled in his mind. How shall the name of God in all its beauty and wonder and saving and purposing life power ever get inside that darkness. That's the story of the gospel that Jesus took that mankind to himself. There's love. Elevating mankind. Elevating you and I in taking us into himself and he becomes flesh he comes therefore inside our darkness inside our death and there gives us the final and ultimate revelation of the name of God because you can talk into the darkness you can do big things but the darkness doesn't hear, or misconstrues, or misinterprets. So God came inside himself and took to himself our humanity, limited himself to our humanity. And in that humanity, in his actions, in his words, in his responses, in just being alive, would reveal finally who God is, get his name to the very fullest. And in the first place, all the names of God in the Old Testament now come to focus and be fulfilled in Jesus. That's the first thing. And, and then we look at Jesus and we recognize here is the immediate presence of God, God the Son. He's Emmanuel. He is God with us. With us as with has never been before because he is with us in that he's taken our humanity. He's inside us. He's one with us. To the point he calls himself our brother. And he said that all that he did and all that he said was a 
perfect revelation of the Father, of God. And so when we see love in Jesus, when we see him moved with compassion, that's exactly what God is like. That's, we're getting his name. Finally, we're seeing him making footprints in the dust of our earth, in forgiving those who are broken by sin under the tyranny of Satan's lies, by delivering people from Satan's authority, by healing the sick. He is saying this is what God is like, this is what he wills, this is his name. And finally, going to death, that is taking our humanity, taking me, taking you to the cross. And there in himself, we are crucified. We are brought to death. That's how much he loved us, is to take our place, to stand in our shoes, to get inside our pain to the nth degree get inside our death and then shattering death and the authority of Satan rises from the dead he's the victor he's the beginning of the new human race and he's carried us all through that and as he comes out of the tomb we come out of the tomb and then he's the one who asks of the Father to give to us the same Holy Spirit who is upon him. And so, finally, God himself now dwells within us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, says Jesus, dwells in us when that Spirit comes. The name of God. Does this make sense to you? We've seen the name of God in Jesus. That God so loved us, he joined us in the sewer pit that we called life and home. He joined us in the ghetto. And then he put his arms around every one of us and brought that mankind to death. And raised us all from the dead in his death. It's all revealed. That's his name. That's what God has done. That's his resume. So Jesus is the resume of God. He, Jesus is the revealed name of God. But there's more. Because when God got inside us, when God became human, and what did he do? He spent his life with a passion and an extreme desire to hallow the name of God, the one he knew as Abba, Daddy, Father. Do you follow me now? Jesus did two things. He came and as God within our flesh revealed the name of God, who God really was. But then... He also revealed what human was always supposed to be. And he 
from his first consciousness hallowed the name of the true God because he is surrounded by the darkness you see he's taken to him the flesh that's blind and deaf to the real God but he sees through the darkness to the real God and determines and his passionate desire is to honor to stand in awe and to please and to obey the true God and declare that true God in the midst of the darkness and in the midst of all the false gods of people's imagination. Jesus hallowed the name of his father from his first consciousness so that the very first words that we ever have recorded of Jesus is of a 12 year old kid saying I must be about my father's business I've got to be doing what my father wants me to do it's hallowing his name now can you get this I, I, I said that all that Jesus did in revealing the father was for us he, he, he came to reveal to us in his own person who God really is but have you ever considered and I know this is difficult for some especially some of my evangelical friends but I, I suppose it includes all of us that, that we were raised here in the West to believe essentially that Jesus just sort of hung around for 30 plus years because he came to die for us. I basically heard that in all my growing up. Can I say that again? We, we have been sort of taught, I mean nobody really comes out and says it, but the whole burden of what is being said from so many pulpits is that Jesus came to die for us. So everything that happened before that is, well, we just hang around until he can get to the real reason, and that's die for us. No. You see, the gospel begins with what Christians call the incarnation. This God becoming one of us. And that's when it began. God became one of us for us. He's doing it for us. God doesn't need to do this. Ever thought of that? God doesn't need to play out this terrible journey through our darkness hallowing the name of his father he doesn't need to do that he's God but God became one of us and stood in our shoes stood in our darkness and deliberately throughout all those years that we know so little about he hallowed the name of his father and refused to believe in Adam's God. He refused to believe and give honor to the lies of Satan. He only hallowed his father. As a child, as a young man, as a teenager, as a young businessman, every time we touch it, and sometimes it's only a word here, a half a sentence there, but he's hallowing, he's setting apart his father and refusing to believe any other. He's doing that for us. He, 
he is bringing into being a new kind of human who knows the name, who turns away from the false god and knows the name of the true god and hallows that god by obedience and faith obedience. That's something we couldn't do. We were doomed to stay in the darkness in death, but he comes and does for us, but also as us. He, he's doing this as our representative. He's choosing no to the lies that have become absolute truth to us humans, but he says, no, they're lies, and I refuse them. I refuse Adam's God of his twisted imagination. I, I refuse the God whose beautiful face has been smeared with the dung of humanity. I choose to believe in the God that nobody else knows. I choose to believe him and call him Daddy, my Father, and to reveal him in my obedience, in my pleasing him, in my blessing the world. And so he actually lived out what was our original created destiny. And he said, and I just scattered here, but he, he said, I do only the things that please him. <laughs> Why? Because I honor him. He's, he's, he's the wonderful other. He is love. And to please him is life. At another time, he says, I do the will of him that sent me. Or he said, I only say, I only do, I do not say anything of my own initiative. I, I'm listening to my Father and I'm doing and saying what my Father does. He continually speaks of glorifying, magnifying, making big, making seen clearly the name of his Father. All the way up to the final obedience the final hallowing when he said, not my will, but yours be done. And he walks into taking us to our death, final obedience. He hallowed the name of the Father. So, <laughs> why did he do this? Why does God's love go to such lengths to, to I have to say the limitless extent that God himself would join our humanity I mean totally identify himself with Malcolm I mean can you get it totally identified himself with you Mary totally your history becomes his history, so that his history might become yours, Jack. You see, every one of us, why, why does God do that? And the scripture, on this same tone, says he did it, does it, for his name's sake. Can you get that? He does it for his namesake. That is, he, he doesn't do it because we're pathetic. He doesn't do it 
because we're really trying hard, you know. We're awfully good compared with some. And so he's going, no, 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 none of that rubbish. No, he does it for his name's sake. That is, he said, this is who I am. I am unlimited love, Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And for my name's sake, because that's who I am. I cannot let mankind descend into the darkness of death and nothingness. I must, by my own name, reach and save and bring to the destiny for which they were created. Can you get this? Jesus came to save you, to exalt you, into the Holy Trinity family, and he does that for his name's sake, not for your sake, for his name's sake. And all the benefits pour upon you. And his name is love, you see. So love is love does this, whether you want it or not, believe it or not, care about it or not. Love says, I must do this because my name is love. So, your sins are forgiven you for his namesake, says the scripture. God did it because that's the kind of God he is. You are his beloved. Not because of something you've done, but because that's the way God is. It's his namesake. And he hallows his name. He declares and honors and sets his name apart by doing this and saving us. So hear me, and I speak to every person upon whose ears my words fall, that your, my, our entrance into, or can I put it, our inclusion into the Holy Trinity family, and I mean that literally, our inclusion into the divine family, as brothers and sisters of Jesus, for he never got rid of being one of us. Our inclusion into the divine family and our being introduced to and participants in the limitless inheritance that now belongs to Jesus, it says we are joint heirs with Christ. We are heirs of God. Our inheritance is God himself and everything that means within creation. It's now accomplished. When was it accomplished? When he rose from the dead and ascended, which doesn't mean he floated off past Mars. It means that he stepped into the other half of the universe the heaven dimension which governs this visible dimension. It's done. It's finished. When were you born again? 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead? You see? So what do we do? It's been done. My response is then, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
That is, we call upon his name revealed in Jesus and all that Jesus has revealed in his action of death and resurrection. We call upon that. We say, Lord Jesus, I believe your report. I believe in your repelling and putting away the false God of this world. I say, yes, I, I call upon you. I believe you. I believe your revelation of the true God. I believe that you carried me through death and have carried me to the Father. I believe you and I give you thanks and I say amen to what you've done. I believe you. Do you understand? Jesus, Jesus turned from Satan. Jesus shattered Satan. Jesus tempted but never sinned. Jesus, you see, Jesus believed his Father and he did that for you as, as the human that sums up all humans. My belief is not trying to have enough faith to say no to Satan, but to believe on Jesus who did. Got that? It's not me trying to muster enough feelings of faith that I now with the Father. No, I believe in Jesus who said, let's go home. I'm coming with. So, and so the scripture says, we become those who are called by his name. That's another great expression of scripture. We're called by his name. We find our identity. That's who we are. We're called by his name. We stand called by name means you stand under, under the authority of that name. What that name says, that I believe and that I am. Because he says so. So, Jesus is the first one to perfectly hallow the name of the Father by obedience all the way through to death and resurrection. Jesus' life is, what, fueled by this passionate desire to hallow the name of the Father. And now we are united to Jesus. You say, how's that? Well, I'm going to maybe, I don't, I'm not being rude, but I want to make it plain. It's none of your business. I, I don't know. That's the great wonder, mystery. Look, when God says something, he doesn't always explain the how. He, the whole New Testament says that the Father placed you into Jesus. Jesus says, I am in you and you are in me. That's an is. My puny pea brain can't comprehend how. So I rest in that fact. And I keep my questions until I am on the other side. All it is that you are in him and now we as believers share in his desire to hallow the name of the Father. That name that has been perfectly revealed in him. 
or as the scripture says, as he, Jesus, is, so are we in this world. If we say that we abide in him or live in him and he in us, then we do as he did. So, this is a desire, it's the beginning of the prayer, but it's the beginning of life. We, we, we desire that in our own lives his name is hallowed. We desire that in every human being in the circle of our little world, every circumstance that rolls through our life, every challenge, every opportunity, we've got one driving desire that his name be honored, his name be obeyed, his name, the name, I say it again, that was revealed in the total life death, resurrection, ascension, and giving of the Holy Spirit, that's the name of God revealed in Jesus. And in all of life, we desire that He be magnified. And when you magnify, it means make big, so everyone can see. In every movement of life, in every relationship, everything that Jesus lived, died, rose, ascended, gave the Spirit and said, this is the name of God, then this be in this circumstance, in this relationship. That's our prayer, that's our attitude, that's our heart. And I won't go into this, but enough to say the tense there, you know, the, the Greek tense of the, the verb there, um, it's in the aorist tense. I mean, that means nothing, I'm sure, to most. But it means that always, under all circumstances, in all places, in every now, in every is, this be so. Nothing, nothing excluded. No place where this isn't. Where we walk, where we go, we are in the energy the Holy Spirit energy of hallowed be your name here. Hallowed be your name here. There's it's an attitude. We, we can never think of approaching God in any other way. We can never think of any activity God would un unless we begin with hallowed be your name. What, what do I, I mean? Well... You begin everything by realizing that God has already given you all things. Through nothing you have done, nothing you ever will do, just because that's the way God is. And just, I'm sitting here realizing that all over again. And, and, and so, it may, put it this way, you can only ask in prayer for what you've already got. Think about that one. He's already given it to you. And that, that's his name. And we hallow it by saying thank you. It is so. Therefore I can ask with boldness. It's given. The scripture says, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things. He freely gives us all things. If he's given to us Jesus the Son of God, if, if he's given us him, then 
the rest is just mopping up, I mean, freely with him, freely give us all things. Or as Paul said to the Corinthians, all things are yours. Or as we've already quoted, we're heirs of God, we're joint heirs with Jesus. Why? For his name's sake, that's the kind of God he is that he gave you this. And it is so, it is so. Done, finished, when Jesus said it's finished. And that finished was actualized in resurrection and ascension. It's done. Yes, for, for those of you listening who feel that you're not worthy of anything, that's a lie. Stop honoring that name, whoever said it to you. And honor the name of Jesus, who is the revelation of the Father's name, who has given you all things because he loves you with a love beyond definition. So, when we come to live, how, how do we live this life? Oh dear, the, you, you know, I'm sure most of us at some point in our life, we, we have um, be, been raised to think in terms of, um, we've got to try. Oh, I've heard it, I groan. Sometimes what I've heard on Christian television, I, I, it almost destroys my stomach as it turns it in knots. I, I have great arguments with the scream because I, I hear it and it's being spoken without any apology. You've got to try hard to keep the commands of God, you know. We've got this list, a moral list, a checklist, and, and we can't do this, and we can't do that, and we can't do the other, we've got to do this, and God will not be happy if you do this, and so on, so on. I heard that just the other night. It, it, it's, I, dear Lord, would somebody preach the gospel? Struggling, and all those stupid Sundays when you go dedicating, and rededicating, and re-re-rededicating, and dedicating your dedications, I'm struggling. I promise you, God, I promise you. I want to say shut up. It's these futile formulas of do this and don't do that so God will be pleased with you. What are you doing? You are hallowing your name. You're still believing in Adam's God. The twisted, distorted image of God who's up there somewhere, who's looking down on you and he's holding the list of all the do's and don'ts. Look, put Adam's God in the trash and hallow the name of the real God, revealed and defined in Jesus Christ. You see, the temptation that is behind every temptation you'll ever have is to hallow your name instead of hallow his name. That, that you will believe in you to overcome temptation. You'll believe in you and your silly formulas to love right and be kind and be nice and all the other things that I've got nothing to do with the Bible, but you, you believe that the, your denomination told you that God's upset when you do those things. And so you, you, you try, you try, you, you hallow your name, you hallow your name. No. No, you see, you hallow his name. 
This doesn't begin, the prayer doesn't begin with, Oh God, make me holy. It begins by me saying, You are holy. Because it's His holiness, His hallow of His name, that has joined us to that name. It's not a moral list of do's, don'ts, good, evil, must, mustn't. It isn't, it isn't. It is Jesus himself through the Holy Spirit coming to dwell inside of us. Or as another expression in the Bible, he places, he puts his name in us. This is what baptism is all about, incidentally. I'm not going there tonight, but we're baptized. This is how your Christian life began. You were baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that little sentence means everything I've said in the last 45 minutes. The temptation behind all temptations. Hallow my name. Jesus said there were two men who went up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, the religious leader... He said Jesus prayed with himself. Interesting. And it says, it begins, I thank you, O God. I am not as other men. I do this. I don't do that. Giving, what was he doing? He was giving his resume. He's giving his name, presenting his name to God, or at least the God of his own imagination believing that God will be suitably pleased and accepted. On the other hand, said Jesus, there was a tax collector, those that were looked upon as the biggest sinners that ever were in the streets of Israel. That they were broken people. They were walking in darkness. And he said, this man, he, he, he doesn't even lift his head. But he says, God, that's interesting. God be merciful to me, a sinner. So the religious leader began with, I thank you that I am not as other men. I do, I don't. But this man, who had not a leg to stand on in terms of a moral checklist, but he begins with God. Interesting. I, God. And he says, be merciful, which is an expression that is no longer reflects what it means. Mercy is the Old Testament word loving kindness, and loving kindness is the word that love acting according to a covenant that has been made. So the tax collector was calling on the God who, because of who God was, extended loving kindness based on his sworn oath of covenant. And he said, here I am. I'm saying amen to your name. See, you understand? Or the prodigal son coming home. What did the prodigal son at least walk in the direction of home with? He came with a little speech. The speech was, yeah, I've screwed up, but... 
And then he's going to go, the potential of me, you never, you, I, I, I know I've made mistakes, but you see, I'm rededicating my life. And the potential in me, make me of one of your hired servants. I'll show you there's still work left in me. I, I'm a decent chap, if only you'll just let me rededicate my life to you. That's how he came home. But when he came home, he was overwhelmed in a tsunami of his father's love, embraced by the father who had gone to unbelievable limits and extents to show that love. And he doesn't say it. He just is engulfed and he believed in his father's love. That is, he came home nurturing the potential of his own little broken name but when he saw his father's name all he did was surrender and say the amen and allow himself to be carried into the feast look when you face the challenges and pressures of life as well as the opportunities of life we're doing the same thing this is how life works we hallow his name you're facing a challenge. Why is it a challenge? Because there's a name, a name of someone, a name given to a situation, a name given to an event, a corporation even. And that name is, is, is challenging. It's like Goliath's name as they stood trembling before it. And then David came and heard the same name, Goliath, but said, I come to you in the name the Lord God of Israel. Do you see? We hallow his name. Don't, don't come blundering to God, spilling out a whole shopping list of requests that reflect your panic and fear. Be still. Remember who you are. Father, then I'm your child, I'm your, your son, your daughter. In this situation, in this arena, with this name that is a challenge, this name that is an open door of opportunity, this name who would seek to destroy me if he could, we declare, we look through the challenge, we look through the enemy, we look through the opposition, we look through the opportunity to you. And we say you've revealed your name in Jesus. And therefore you will carry me. You are my strength and my courage for the challenge. You are the victor over all my enemies. Your name is the strength and the wisdom for every opportunity. You're, that's how you begin prayer. By recognizing that, that you're, you're joined in the family of the one whose name we hallow this, this situation you're in, your life that you're in right now, is his arena. Step back. You're not doing something for a distant God. You are one bound up in the only true God who is love, who wills in this situation, on this stage, which is his arena, he's going to show just how great his love and victory is in Jesus. We hallow his name above all logic. If God has made a promise, then we say that is 
final truth. I care not what logic says. I care not what common sense says. His name is above logic, above common sense. His name is above my ancestors. For to believe the promises of God, I might have to dishonor all my ancestors. But yes, I do. I dishonor the names of any ancestor that does not honor the name of God. You get it? It may mean that you will dishonor your denomination. They might even throw you out. But you see, the name of our God revealed in His Word, revealed in Jesus, is above all denominations, all corporations, all families. Huh. The name of God is above our own name, as we've already said. But uh, in terms of the situation, we're faced with a challenge. You see, back we go to ourselves and we look at our resume and we say what I can do and the strength that I've got and my wisdom and we go around and around and around in a silly merry-go-round of anxiety. No, we honor His name above our name. And we honor His name above all friends or whatever saviors or would-be saviors who are coming in to say, I've got the answer. Or all the books and here's a formulas. And if you do this and if you do that, be still, you see, be still. And know that I am God. And the Lord is my strength. And the Lord is my wisdom. Could I, could I throw this in too? That out of that comes all our praise. Our praise is that we are hallowing, we are honoring His name, even though the names all around us would contradict that. And so we give Him praise. Hallowing the name of God is a praising life. Could I throw this in too? That to hallow the name of God is in our material life. Read Proverbs 3. It says, honor the Lord with all your substance. And it goes on about barns and fields because they were an agricultural people. But you can throw in there wherever your world is of offices and whatever. Um, electricity and plumbing. and Honor the Lord with all your substance. That is recognize that there's not a thing that you pick up, there's not a piece of food in your mouth, not a dollar in your billfold, but that ultimately it comes from the love of God, comes from the wisdom of God given to you to do the work, the strength of God for you to do the work. It's all of Him. I meet Him in every detail of life. And so it says, Honor the Lord, hallow His name, and it goes on, to describe the generous person who gives out of that substance, knowing I got this all from God and now I become one with God. I hallow His name. I magnify His beautiful love by being generous. Do you realize, those of you who support this ministry, those of you who are partners with us and who, who give, your giving is hallowing His name. That is, you're setting his name apart and saying that he is love to the extreme. I hallow him by passing that love on through the generosity of my substance. Think about that. And think about it the next time when 
we're facing financial crisis. You know, I, I, I just throw this in very quickly, that the scripture says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I, I think many people actually believe that my MasterCard is my shepherd, my bank account are the still waters, and therefore I shall not want. Get beyond your MasterCard, get beyond your bank account, and get rooted into the God whose name is Father, Provider, Protector, and hallow Him by giving thanks and looking directly to Him. And I'll quickly say this, we hallow His name in our attitude and the way we pray for all other human beings. I, I really shouldn't have left this to the end. It, it's too big. But did you hear what I said uh, half an hour ago? Did you hear that when Jesus takes to himself humanity, that includes the entire human race? Are you getting that? Jesus in joining into taking to himself our humanity put his arms around the entire human race now many people that get very upset when I say that because they've, they're convinced he only put his arms around them and people who believe the same way as they do but um, that isn't so it says in, in 2 Corinthians 5 God was in Christ reconciling the world the entire cosmos to himself what does that mean? It means that at the resurrection of Jesus, it is declared that Satan does not own the human race. It is declared Satan has no more authority over any human being. He lost, he's been stripped of his authority. He's lost his property. Jesus said, now I am he who lives. I was dead, I'm alive. I've got the keys of death and the grave. Do you realize that when Jesus rose from the dead, it echoes down through time. Father, forgive them. Forgive. But you see, that human race I've just described doesn't know that. The Bible says that they're in the dark. See, Satan has no authority, but he's sure the best liar and deceiver. But when I pray, I don't pray Satan's lies. I don't pray for people and, and rehearse their sins and rehearse their hopeless... No, no, no. I pray with hallowed be your name when I pray for people. When you pray for your children, when you pray for your relatives, you pray for your husband, your wife, you pray from who God is, what God has done, and therefore who they are. I am praying for this person who is already marked by the blood of Christ, who belongs in the family of God, but who presently is blind. Whose life is twisted and distorted, even though this has been done. And so I, I do it according to Acts 26, where the Lord said to Paul, 
you open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, they may turn from Satan to God and receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified. He said, if get their eyes open and then they will turn because they're free to do so. They just didn't know it. So our praying is, Lord, open their eyes. Open their eyes for this one for whom Christ died. Open their eyes to see who they are in the Father's love. Declare truth in your prayers. As we shall see as this prayer unfolds to us. This is how the epistles are written. Have you noticed in the epistles, especially like Colossians or Ephesians, especially Ephesians, where it declares the first, most of the first chapter is, this is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you are, because of Jesus. And then, by verse, what is it, 17 in Ephesians anyway, it says, because of this I'm praying for you that your eyes be opened to see this. And then, by chapter 4, he says, in the light of this, get on and do it. Be who you are. Okay. Or it's like Stephen, who prayed for the Apostle Paul as, well, because he wasn't the Apostle Paul then. He was Saul the persecutor. And as the stones are flying to smash the head of Stephen, Stephen prayed for Saul of Tarsus and all those with him and said, Lord, lay not this sin to his charge. Or, the what does that mean? It means the sin of this man has been laid to another's charge. It's like when you're going to pay in the restaurant and your friend comes up, pushes you out of the way and says, put it on my card. It's, it's on another charge. And Stephen recognized that even the man who was stoning him already had been included into the finished work of Christ. Well, there it is. I'm over time. May you and I pray this prayer as our very life, hallowed be your name. And now, I bless you in the name, in the name of the God who is almighty, endless, unbounded, unconditional love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that you may walk from this day forth to hallow his name. So be it.